Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3. As you're turning to Luke chapter 3, I want to just begin with this question. Blessing or curse? To know without any doubt the specific purpose of your life from God's perspective. If you could know without any reservation what God had for you, would you consider that to be a blessing to know that? Or might it be a curse? John the Baptist was a man who knew what his life purpose was. And there was no doubt. In fact, so strong was the knowledge of what his life purpose was that growing up, he would realize, would have realized he did not need to develop sports skills because he was never going to be playing on the soccer team from Jerusalem. That wasn't part of what his life was going to be about. There was no need for him to seek out higher formal education because the only education he needed was the education that the Spirit of God was giving him, preparing him for the work that he would do. He did not need to seek the woman of his dreams because it was not part of God's plan for him to marry and have a family. He did not need to worry about developing a strategic savings retirement plan so that he could at 65 knock off and have a a golden age of living because, well, he was never going to get there. The purpose of John's life was so narrow and thus very clear that John had a very singular focus, and that was this. To prepare the people for the coming Messiah And then to come to that place where he would have the opportunity to introduce the Messiah to the people. John knew why he was here. He knew what he was supposed to do. And so by faith with laser focus, John gave everything he had to engage the purpose that God had for him. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 3. We're looking at verses 15 through 22. Here's what the scripture says to us. This morning, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
As I said, John's purpose, in part at least, was to prepare the people for the arrival of the Messiah. The Jews had longed for the one who would rescue them, who would establish them as the premier people of the world. But the promise of this deliverance had, had been long in coming. And although the expectation remained among the people, it was mostly a back burner issue for the masses. That is, until John began his ministry. The preaching of John the Baptist had touched the masses at the deepest level of their souls, so much so that they left the comfort of the temple, they left the comfort of of the city of Jerusalem to go out into the wilderness to hear this untrained, uh, rather rough expositor of the word of God. And when they heard him, many were moved to action submitting themselves to baptism in the, in the Jordan as a symbol that they were turning from the scourge of, of self-righteous religion to renewed anticipation and faith in the arrival of the Messiah. Of course, the masses did not yet know who the Messiah was. But John was looking and acting a lot like what they thought the Messiah would be. And so talk began to circulate. Is John... The Messiah. In fact, so much did people begin to think that perhaps John the Baptist was the promised Messiah that the gospel of John, and it's not the same John as John the Baptist. John, the gospel writer, was one of the apostles of Jesus. The gospel of John chapter 1 records that a delegation was chosen, a delegation of priests and Levites, and they were sent out from Jerusalem to confront John with the question, who are you? Who are you? And when they came asking that question, who are you, John understood that they were thinking that maybe you are the Messiah. And so John clearly and plainly told them, I am not. I am not the one you're seeking. They thought, well, he's such an unusual fella. Maybe you're the reincarnation or the second coming of Elijah. And he said, no, I'm I'm not Elijah either. Well, maybe you are the special prophet that is coming. He said, no, I'm not that either. And they said, well, then, goodness sakes, who are you? And John knew exactly who he was. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And he told them, I am a voice, one crying in the wilderness. John knew without any doubt why he was here and who he was, and he knew that it was his job to prepare people to eventually receive the Messiah, and it was his job to eventually identify who he is. I want you to think about this for just a moment, how tempting it is to let people think that, the, that you are more than you really are. I mean, here's John out there serving in obscurity out in the wilderness. He has not a lot of perks, not a lot of glory, not a lot of fame. And here come even priests and Levites wondering, are you the Messiah? What a temptation it might have been for him to play along for a little while and let that glory sort of wash over him. What a rush to have people thinking you're something greater than you really are. 
In fact, I have found that many a man and woman has fallen under the spell of allowing the flattery of others to drive them toward a life that was never intended for them. And that brings me to the first truth point this morning, and I really believe this truth point is meant for someone who is either here this morning or watching by way of the internet. Nothing is more exhausting nor more disillusioning than to live under the weight of trying to be someone or something that you're not. You ever found yourself doing that? You ever found yourself trying to be something that you're not? I have, and it is exhausting, and it is disillusioning. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that we all want to be someone. We all want to be significant. We all want to be held in high esteem. We want others to think that we matter. And what most people don't understand is that the only way to be that is to be what God created you to be. You want to be somebody? You want to be significant? You want to be important? Then be who God created you to be. Don't try to be something else. Just be who God wants you to be. When we chase after the ghost of what we think others will want or what they will admire or what they will respect, we only crash and burn in the reality that we aren't that person. What really sets us free in this case is when we discover and accept who God created us to be and we pursue that for his glory and the benefit of others, then our life will have true significance and impact. John knew who he was. He knew what he was created to do. And he pursued it and he refused to allow his life to become hijacked by the desires and expectations of others. And I would encourage myself to remember that. And I would encourage you to remember that as well. God created you to be a particular individual with a specific set of gifts and skills and he wants to use your life in a specific way. Don't fight against it. Let God use you as he desires and let him use someone else the way he desires to use them. So we come to verses 16 and 17 and we see that John set the record straight on who he was. And he did that by contrasting his ministry with that of the the ministry of the coming Messiah. Take note of verse 16. He says, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now put it there on your note, God, I believe, and I want you to really catch this contrast. John said, I baptize with water. That's all I can do. It's an external symbol of what God is at work doing. I can't make something happen in your life. I can't transform you. I can't give you a better life. I can give you the truth. I can help you through the symbolization. I can encourage you. I can pray for you. But all I can do is an external work. I can't bring the real transformation. However, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, an internal work, an internal work that is supernatural and is eternally permanent. So he contrasts, this is who I am, and this is what I do, and this is the value of it, and this is what he does, and this is what he will 
do for you, and this is the eternal weight of significance of what he will perform. Now, it's not hard to understand what John means when he refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's talking there about the Spirit's work in our being born again into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, and that brings me to truth point number two. The new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Father created the plan, Jesus carried out the plan in real time, and it is the Holy Spirit who takes what what Jesus accomplished and makes it real in our lives. The new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John chapter 16 verses 8 through 11 tells us about his work. It is the Holy Spirit who brings conviction of sin. Something that many preachers ought to be reminded of, that it's not their job to convince or convict people of sin. We may be tasked to talk about it. We may be tasked to preach against it. But we have to remember it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict. It is also the Holy Spirit's work to convince you of the righteousness of Jesus and to point you toward him. It is also the Spirit's job to enlighten you about the the coming judgment for those who reject Christ. And so, through his Spirit, uh, through this, the Spirit draws the sinner to Christ. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.